Welcome. Crack open a tepid Genesee. Watch the pictures as they travel through your neighbor's Wi-Fi. It's the Rees Company. I'm Steve Rees, the bull of American broadcasting, alongside the great Chris Morganti. How are you, Chris? I'm good. Uh, a lot of people may be wondering uh, just exactly who we are. Okay. Because I realize a lot of people have been watching the shows lately, and uh, they hear us talking about TV movies. Perhaps that's why they come here. Right. They want to hear our take on these things, or they, they just want to relive the, the nostalgia. There's that aspect of it. Sure. They remember these films. They want to hear us discuss it. But they don't necessarily know who we are. No. Why would they? Yeah. So we've never actually uh, provided a template, a primer, if you will, for who we are, how we got here, and just what we're trying to pull. So um, let's tell the folks, let's start back at the beginning. We met about 20 years ago, you and I. Yeah. Doing stand-up comedy. Yep. And uh, I remember my first night doing stand-up, you did, a, uh, you did a character called the 50s comic. Yeah. Uh, that was something I did back in the day. I did a few characters, and that was, that was the only one people would actually hire me to do. Um, I would do the others, and they'd be like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, they, that one people liked. So the 50s comic got you work. Yeah. What was it about the other characters? Can we talk about one of the others? There was Jesus. There was Jesus, which um, I did that more in gigs I wasn't getting paid um, because, you know, nobody ever got mad at me for dressing up like Jesus and telling dirty jokes, but it wasn't always well received. Um, and that I ended up writing a screenplay with our friend Dan Goodman involving that character. So it turned into something great. But when I would do it stand up wise, it never it, it never really worked. Well, comics always loved it. Yeah. You had one other character that I can remember. Do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I just took my, my girlfriend at the time. She, I just took a dress that she had, and, and it fit me. Um, and I put a wig on, and, and I called myself Susie Rottencrotch or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, same thing. It's just a guy with a beard and a, and a dress, which to me, I, you know, I grew up as a Monty Python fan, so that was always funny to me. Right, up your alley. But not not well-received. <laughs> But, but you always had you always had more of a dry wit. You, that that was your your stand up act, and it was it was always. I remember I remember the first night you came out, there were, that I saw you, and and it was funny from the very beginning. Um, and and, and you still do it on occasion. Uh, it's probably been three years, three okay. and a half, perhaps since I did my last one. Okay, it's not something I pursue anymore. Once um, I started doing a podcast. I mean, this was always my goal to be in, uh, I guess, radio or television. Yeah. And this new medium appeared and it seemed perfect for me and I embraced it. And for eight and a half years, you and I did, were a part of a program, started out called uh, the Eric Toddcast. Right. Became the Passive Aggressive Hour. Yeah. And eventually uh, that ended and we started doing this. Yeah, we started doing a show here at the Oak Lane Skunk Works and... Um we had a bit of a rocky beginning here with this show, um, which is why you won't find our, our early episodes. Yeah, that, that's kind of an understatement. For the first six months, no microphone was turned on. Yeah, there were a lot of technical issues. And also, Steve and I were kind of feeling our way through what we wanted. We knew what we wanted to do. We just weren't sure of the exact roadmap, how to get there. Yeah, we had a sense of what we wanted to provide an audience. Yeah. Uh, we just didn't know exactly what, um, what the theme, because a lot of shows have a theme. Uh, we had no sense of a theme. Right. We had personality. We have a rapport. We have a rapport. Yeah. 
And uh, but we didn't have any. We weren't going to sit around. And, well, did you watch uh, Game of Thrones? You know, one of those shows. We don't want to do one of those. No, there are thousands of those. Yeah. And what we ended up doing uh, happened entirely by accident. Yeah. Um, I think one night you just said, hey, how about we talk about this movie on the next show? And I don't remember what it was. Now, see, I remember it differently. I remember texting you, telling you I was watching this uh, ridiculous TV movie. Oh, okay. And you said, I'll watch it and we'll talk about it on the show. That's okay. Then you're right. So this whole thing was your idea. Oh, okay. Blame it on me. (laughs) Sure. And that was uh, Deadly Justice. Oh, okay. Was the film. Right. Otherwise known as The Rape of Richard Beck. Yes. Yeah. Which is... Came, became a buzzword on our on our show now. Right. Well, you have to be careful now. Content warnings. We don't want to trigger anybody. Right. So, obviously, that term, the R word, one of the R words. Yeah, the other R word. Is, um, uh, it's, it better suits us to call it deadly justice because that's what uh, whatever studio from produced that picture <laughs> decided it should be called. Yeah. For the international market. Right. Yeah, so then we just kept rolling with that, and now we do a movie of the week of the week on every show. Um, but we try to do a lot more than that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Shall we get into this week's movie of the week? Yeah, let's do this week's then. Okay. You want to hit the intro, Jim? Okay, this week's movie of the week of the week, I believe, is from 1994. Yes, it's called Viper, and it's not about a snake. It's about a car. Thankfully. The Dodge, yeah, we don't like snakes here. Yeah, yeah. But it's about the Dodge Viper, which was new at the time, and uh, it was kind of a, you know, a cool thing at the time. Well, what I remember hearing at the time is the Viper got maybe eight miles to the gallon. It was something ridiculous, very low gas mileage. Yeah, it was an... Eight liter V10 engine, so you're not going to get good gas mileage on those. Um, but they, it was popular. Um, the way it came about, actually, I don't know if this is of interest to people, but the the car became popular because Dodge had secured the rights to be the pace car for the Indy 500, and they decided to go with a Dodge Stealth. But that's actually made by Mitsubishi. And apparently, Dodge got some flack. You know, this was pre-social media. I don't know. People were writing letters. I don't know <laughs> what happened. But they didn't want a Japanese-made car, which is odd because Honda dominates the Indy 500 now. But whatever. At the time, they decided, well, here's this American-built thing. It was built by Carroll Shelby, who, of course, made all the, all the Cobras, and he won uh, Le Mans and stuff. And, and, that, and that's how it became popular, by being the pace car for the Indy 500. A couple years before... This movie was made. Um, but the, the people who made this movie decided instead of making it about racing, they would make the Dodge Viper a crime-fighting car. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking, Steve. Hey, this reminds me of a show called Knight Rider. <laughs> yes. But here's the thing. Totally different. Knight Rider used a Pontiac. <laughs> this is a Dodge. So, also... Um, so the lawyers should stop sharpening their pencils. Right. Is what you're saying. Also, Night Rider the car talked. It does. This car, the Viper, does not talk. And correct me if I'm wrong, 
But um, couldn't the couldn't the Knight Rider car kit? It was called. Yeah. Couldn't it drive itself? I believe that was the case. I don't remember, but that that sounds right. Right. Uh, that also is not the case with the Viper. Uh, in fact, it appears as the movie begins that no one can drive this car. Um, so let's watch the first clip and, and we'll see. We have a problem, Mr. Wilkes. The city council is losing patience. You people have nearly redlined the phones. There's something wrong with the vehicle. Now, can we stop it here? I've checked every system. Uh, now, that big guy there, he probably looks familiar to you. Yeah, he looked very familiar. In, in this movie, he plays the... Um, He's like a politician who is supporting the Viper crime prevention program. Yes, he's also running for mayor. He's running for mayor, yeah. He's, he's supporting it politically and we're led to believe financially. Um, here's where you may know him from. He is Seinfeld's landlord. Uh, can we, he's the, uh, the guy who called him a fancy boy <laughs> for wearing a, a fur coat and a purse. So uh, he's a well-known character actor actually from Philadelphia. First of all, it's European, Chris. It is European, yeah. But uh, that's where you may recognize him. We can go back to the clip now. Feel made that I can't handle if it's made right. <laughs> Your reaction time isn't keeping pace with the operating systems. Now, I hate to say this, but I'm starting to think the Viper is just beyond your level of skill. It's all right here. You just keep it right there. I'm out. Do you know where the door is? Calm down, Wilkes. We've already been through a half a dozen drivers. Look. We'll work through the simulator program again, and maybe... Maybe someone we'll... will get killed in the car. It's not the car. Then you drive it. Now, this is interesting because uh, this, this movie, which uh, we'll get into later, became a long-running TV series somehow. Yeah. But um, it had a lot of cooperation from the Chrysler Corporation. They were happy to have their signature sports car, you know, be the subject of a TV show. Um. I'm not sure when they went to pitch it to the Chrysler Corporation that they mentioned that a key plot point would be that it is undrivable. <laughs> they, may, they may have left that out. <laughs> but uh, they, they think they've found a solution, um, which we'll see in the uh, second clip here. Now, this guy is a part of a criminal gang known as the Outfit, and he is known as their best wheelman. And we see him at work here. Remember I said he's their best wheelman. Yeah. And he runs into a bus because he's not paying attention. <laughs> he was looking to the left. Yeah. That'll do it. So now you'd be thinking, okay, there's one less criminal on the roads. But the, uh, the police department had a different plan. Um, they decided that guy was such a good driver, as we just saw, <laughs> that they're going to uh, erase his memory and turn him into a cop so he can drive the Viper. <laughs> now, at this point, you'd be, well you might be questioning the nebulous technical prowess of the Metro City Police Department. Um, they can wipe a person's memory clean, but they can't 
put traction control on a 1994 Dodge. <laughs> so uh, you'd be wondering, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, here's a bit of an explanation. Uh, if you look at the uh, Metro City Police Department 1994 budget, uh, you'll see that uh, it's all down to funding because uh, they put a whopping $323 million into the armored ill-handling muscle car department, um, but only $2 million into mind control. <laughs> and a, a paltry 35000 to pay the driver. Yeah, which that's, that's not, that's not going to attract the best in the bread. Top talent, no, no. You know, uh, the... Formula One guys get paid like eight figures to drive a car, so you, you might have to up that a little bit. But uh, that should be a good Christmas party, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Legendary. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. I think uh, KC and the Sunshine Band. Great. Yeah. And uh, we can move to the third clip. Uh, this Oh, this is where we'll actually see the, finally, I think it's like almost an hour in, we finally see the Viper in action fighting crime. This is a long clip, but this is kind of the heart of the whole thing. What is that thing? They don't ask me, man. And at this point, these prob- these guys are probably, the one guy is probably looking at a speeding ticket. Right? He kind of overreacts. <laughs> Why would you do that? So, three hundred twenty-three million to build a uh, <laughs> armored Dodge Viper, which apparently does the same thing as a spike strip, and uh, you still need backup. You still need to get out of the car and point a pistol at them. <laughs> right. It doesn't seem like money well spent to me. No, it's a uh, vastly, it's a uh, gone vastly over budget. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. You've seen pretty much all of the movie. It, there's a whole plot line involving him discovering the fact that his memory was wiped and that he used to be a criminal and he decides he wants to be a cop after all. And it turns out the real bad guy is the, uh, the Seinfeld landlord. Right. Now, now can I stop you here, Chris, and explain sure. a couple other things? Sure. Uh, the reason why, uh, he discovers who he used to be and uh, he's, you get the sense he's kind of tempted to go back to the criminal life. Yeah. But then the uh, outfit which is the criminal organization you mentioned that's basically running this city roughshod. Right. Uh, they murder his girlfriend. 
They do. Yeah, I, I meant to put that clip in. They, they murder her by blowing up an entire par- apartment complex. Yes, in the hopes that he's in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, sways him to uh, continue to fight crime and uh, to dismantle this criminal organization. Yeah, but it turns... terrorizing Metro City. Yeah, but it turns out that what gets dismantled is the Viper program. Um, they get defunded, and the Viper was supposed to be destroyed... Um, but that hasn't happened yet. And then we see what happens to the mayoral candidate, uh, now mayor-elect, Seinfeld's landlord. Good morning, councilman, or should I say mayor-elect. Now, this is a long clip, but it's got a good payoff. You know, payoff. we can handle this by telephone. Uh, you shouldn't have troubled yourself to meet me. Sometimes I like the personal touch. <laughs> well... Yes, uh, the police are going to move prisoner Nichols to the state lockup this afternoon. Here's the route and the escort request. Thank you. It's always a pleasure doing business with the city. Our business is finished. This uh, should settle our account. It might have, if you held up your end of the bargain. What are you talking about? Where is the Viper? That vehicle has been destroyed. Our contacts say it never happened. Lack of follow-through is a serious flaw for a civic leader. Some might say a fatal flaw. Townsend! Townsend! Townsend, we don't have to... All right, wait! Wait! Townsend! What are you doing? Don't! 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 Yep. It's one way to get rid of someone. <laughs> right. And uh, I'd like to point out the death of the mayor-elect is never brought up, I don't believe. Yeah. Well, what happens next is uh, the Viper has a big showdown with the outfit, and uh, they capture the guy from Babylon 5, the English guy from Babylon 5, and uh, who's the ringleader. And then um, they, they go underground because this Viper program was defunded, they steal all the outfit's money at the end and decide they're going to run the Viper program as a private crime prevention thing. Well, can I correct you? They, okay. He steals the money he earned as a member of the outfit, the, uh, the driver of the Viper. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. He somehow gets into the um, uh, safe deposit box ah. where a member of the outfit had stored a bunch of uh, cash. Oh, that's why he had the key. I saw him pick up a key at one point. I didn't realize. Yeah, well, that was significant. Somehow, that was gifted to him by the um, the the mother of his girlfriend who was murdered. Right. Well, sure, that adds up. (laughs) Um. Anyway, this but he rents out a dam, like the innards of a dam. Yeah, it's like an abandoned power station. Yeah, and uh, that's basically his bat cave. Yeah, and the guy, the the guy in the wheelchair. Uh, helps him as well as some other minor character. Uh, can we talk about both these people? Sure. The guy in the wheelchair. I was curious because I was wondering if he was actually a, a disabled actor. Right. And uh, I looked at his, <laughs> I looked at his IMDb. Not a, uh, yeah, his IMDb, and I saw that he had uh, portrayed Jesse Owens. <laughs> and I right. Thought, well, right. He's either not disabled or something horrible yeah. happened at some point in his life. But it it turns out that he was just acting in this yeah now the other guy you're talking i about? guess that's one word for it 
<laughs> no, he's fine. He's fine. I'm I'm just joking. But the other guy you're talking about, the assistant who uh he's kind of a hanger on. He just wants to be a part of this because he loves cars. Yeah, he is part of the police department though. Yes. Yeah. But I think he works on the data end. Right. Which at that time wasn't IT. It was more like processing information. Yeah. And um <clears throat> he's uh played by an actor called Joe Napoti. I don't know him. He was apparently a stand-up comedian, and I watched some of his stand-up today. Oh, boy. I was curious about this guy, because the character he plays in this film, and you're going to have to watch this to actually see this, reminded me a lot of Steve Martin's character in My Blue Heaven. Okay. It looked like he was doing an impression of Steve Martin doing an impression of Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's how it ends. And And here's the thing. Uh, like a lot of the movies we watch, they're like failed pilots, right? Yeah. And pilots are usually longer than a normal episode. So if they didn't make a series out of them, they just put them on as a movie of the week. Uh, in this, this was on NBC. They made it clear from the beginning, uh, this is the beginning of a series. And this thing went for 78 episodes, Steve. <laughs> 78 episodes of what we just saw. We, I don't, I, I don't know, man. And I think two were network. Two seasons were network, and the other three were uh, syndication. Yeah. Uh, it, it was on NBC for one season, and then it, it was syndicated um, Paramount. But, um, yeah, I don't know how you get 78 episodes out of this. Apparently it had fans. I mean, so people liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember, I can only think of one um, show that was in first-run syndication. That was a success, a massive success. Uh, well, I know Star Trek The Next Generation was. Okay. But that's not what you're thinking of? I was thinking of Baywatch. That too. Yep. Right there's around the same time, about, too. There's something about first-run syndication that I think turned viewers off somehow, as though they knew the, uh, the business metrics. Yeah. Um, another one was Babylon 5, which I mentioned earlier. But these, these are all 90s things. So I guess it was a function of whatever was going on with cable and network television at the time that allowed syndicated shows to, you know, have a run. And, possibly, and this must have been part of it. Possibly independent stations trying uh, to not become a fifth network, but uh, have network status. Yeah. Well, so that's it for Viper. You, you want to rate it? There were no YouTube comments on this video. Comments were frozen. Yeah. So we don't have a comment of the week. Um, yeah, you, you can go ahead. All right, I'm going to give it three out of five. Really? And I think part of that is because it was a pilot. It was all exposition. Yeah. A lot, a lot occurred in the hour and a half without commercials. And uh, I thought it was very action-packed and exciting. It, uh, okay. I can't disagree with you. I'm going to give it two Meredith Baxters. Um, it just wasn't. I think what you're, you're right, though. Maybe it's because it was a pilot that uh, they weren't trying to. S there wasn't enough of the car. Like, isn't that the selling point? It was very, like you said, exposition heavy on and character development heavy in a part of the. Whatever the main character's name was. <laughs> Let's call him Viper. Yeah, Viper. Another thing was the car was able to change color. So you would see scenes where the car would be one color, and then you'd have to remind yourself, oh, that's the same car because it can change color. Well, it, it it's usually red. But when it's gray like we saw, that's when its armor is deployed. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the armored mode. 
Yeah. Well, see, I didn't pick up on that. So. In the last season, uh, the the that Viper is destroyed, and they have a new model, which is blue. So there you go. If you want to go deep and watch all five seasons. Have you watched any more of this, or is that just something? No, th- this will end my viewing of Viper. What made you choose this film? Um, it was Thursday, and we needed something. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what came up. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. <clears throat> so we rated it, and uh, I guess we can move on, right? You had something else you wanted to talk about, right? Um, uh, possibly. And here's the deal. Just um, do your show, and uh, I'll chime in when necessary. Do my show? Yes. What, what does that mean? I don't have anything else to talk about. You have something in front of you. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, tonight we have a new segment, I'm told. All right, good. Now, I'm not sure. Obviously, I'm not sure how this works. <laughs> all right. But it's called Making It All About Myself with Steve Reese. And I'm very excited about this. Please welcome, even though he's been here the whole time, the Bull of American Broadcasting, Steve Reese. Thank you, Chris. And uh, as I said, don't worry about me. Just uh, continue with your show, and I'll chime in when, uh, when it makes sense for me to do so. I'm here ready to comment. All right. Well, I mean, I didn't have anything, but I, I, do, have, I do have a news item I can share. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it involves the closure of a venerable Nashville institution. Uh, in fact, we have a clip. Let's take a look at the coverage via CBS Sunday Morning. This tub was known for many things. The father of honky-tonk music, which later would be referred to as country music, Tubb was the first to introduce the electric guitar to the Grand Ole Opry. But what has stood the test of time, even long after his death in 1984, was the record store he opened in 1947. That is, until now. Last night, among the potpourri of noisy celebrity haunts of Music City's Broadway, Ernest Tubbs' historic record store opened its doors for the last time. Okay, that's Contained enough. Contained within that's the enough. narrow space that's lived enough. Midnight Jamboree. That's enough. We, we get the picture. Unfortunately, this isn't the real story, Chris. Oh. For some reason, CBS, the libtard media, these uh, James Corden hires, yeah, in their mind, uh, Tom Snyder, James Corden, same guy, same job. These people, um, they don't care to focus on the true reason why the Ernest Tubb record shop closing, they're closing its doors, why this is so notable. You see, Chris, when I was 13 years old, the family took a trip to Nashville. Hmm. We were there a few days. We saw the sights. I appeared on Nashville Now, hosted by Ralph Emery, who died not long ago. By the way, huge influence on my broadcasting career. Ralph Emery? Ralph Emery, I've known you for 20 years. Never heard you mention that name. Well, it wasn't until the day he died, and the story was all over social media, when I realized how much we had in common. I'll give you an example, Chris. Uh... We both speak in the microphones. Okay. We both uh, begrudgingly work with puppets. Wow, yeah. And those posts got a lot of traction I made about our, our connection, you know. People got it, and folks commented, sorry for your loss. And it made me feel part of the story, which, of course, Chris, I rightly was. Now, you appeared on his program, Nashville Now. I was in the audience. But there's no doubt anyone was watching for any other reason. The guests that night were um, McBride and the Ride. Remember them? No. Of course not. And, uh, and J.D.C. Riley, 
who's saying something else. You mean something else, the Eddie Cochran classic? No, I mean something than uh, something other than Harper Valley PTA. Mm. Ralph Emery may as well have said, ladies and gentlemen, the flying will end us. We'll now mime. Mm. So my presence there was clearly the only thing keeping people tuned in. All right, well, you kind of lost me. What, what does this have to do with the closure of the Ernest Tubb record shop? Well, I would have gotten there already if you hadn't gone all Matt Pinfield over uh, Eddie Cochran. Sorry. <clears throat> so during this trip, we stopped at the Ernest Tubb record shop on Music Row. At the time, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band had a uh, minor hit with a song called From Small Things, Big Things One Day Come. Okay. And it was a Springsteen song from the late 70s that he hadn't yet released on his own. Okay. So, um... <clears throat> I purchased the Dirt Band cassette that contained that song at the Ernest Tubb record shop. It's called The Rest of the Dream. And this purchase allowed me to hear for the first time this heretofore lost would-be Springsteen classic. And that's the significance of the closure of the Ernest Tubb record shop. That, to you, is the real story. Yeah, it's the story they don't want you to hear. You know why, Chris? Uh, No. Because I'm so edgy. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that with us. All right. Can I share a couple other things that are actually show-related? And you'll like this, Chris, because this is where you come in. Okay. There are a couple of uh, songs in here. One is um, the title track, The Rest of the Dream. Okay. And the other song is Just Enough Ashland City. Those are both songs by John Hyatt, the singer-songwriter, that uh, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band covered for this project. And John Hyatt's songs figure prominently in a film we've watched and discussed called off the Minnesota Strip. Oh, okay. And if you watch our episode on that in the final scene, you can hear John Hyatt's music as Mayor Winningham um, sprints into the sunset toward her uh, uncertain future. Right, yeah. I remember that ending, yeah. Okay. Now, I believe my dad was a nitty-gritty dirt band fan. Oh, yeah. So I believe that I've heard their music uh, while traveling in the car with him. Well, they had a couple of huge albums. One was in uh, the 70s, early 70s, called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And it was a tribute to uh, American music since the beginning of the, basically the invention of the guitar. And um, <clears throat> they had a lot of uh, bluegrass and country musicians perform with them on that record. Mm. And it was uh, monumentally, monumentally lauded. And uh, they won Grammys and CMAs and all that for, for that. Mm. And they did a sequel and I think 1989 or 90. Oh, okay. Which was also, uh, you know, quasi well-received. Back out of hell, dirt band. <laughs> that, that's their meatloaf move. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's probably what they're best known for. Okay. How many of these cassettes you got laying around? I have a lot of cassettes. Really? I still have all my cassettes, all my albums, all my CDs. <clears throat> I got rid of all my cassettes and all my DV- uh, CDs. Why was that? Uh I got divorced and moved out with nothing except a suitcase. Oh, so you didn't get rid of them. They were just uh, kind they of... They were thrown out. Uh, yeah. Well, it's horrible to hear. Is there anything we didn't talk about you might like to talk about, Chris? No. So did we do it? Um, we have a new... In- we, we worked on a new intro before we did the show tonight, and um, hopefully that will be appended to the beginning of the show before you see it. I don't know if it's appending, if it's at the beginning. I don't know. I would say appended. It, it will be appended. Okay. would be the proper term. So hopefully you'll see that, but we didn't talk about it until now because, you know, it may not be done for another week. 
We'll see. All right. Well, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed uh, Viper. <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll be back next week with uh, something else that catches our fancy. In that case, Chris, I think we did it. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jim. I'm Steve Rees. Ask a baby. Ask you Wawa. Tigers. Eat them raw. We did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>